Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman. You are listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. As always, we have a whole wealth of issues, uh, topics to discuss, to unpack. But before we do that, we're going to go to a quick disclaimer, and then we're going to come back and just jump right on in. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman, and you are listening to me on WBCA LP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So the first thing I'm going to say is please vote. (laughs) Please vote. The elections are going to be upon us here in Boston, the municipal elections, city council races, um, you know, the September preliminary. It's going to be here before you know it. Please vote. So just so people know, all of the at-large candidates, there are eight, they're going to go right through. Uh, If there had been more than eight candidates, that would have effectively triggered uh, preliminary, and then the top eight go through uh, to November. But because there are only eight, uh, the election to determine our next four city councilors at large will be held in November. And I'm just going to keep on urging people to vote because it is just so important. And I, (laughs) as I have said now, with increasing <laughs> frequency, it, it's it's a matter of people just literally giving the city away, and there's no need of it. And people come up with excuses not to vote. Well, what can I do? I mean, it's not going to make a difference. I'll remind people that Julia Mejia won by one vote. One vote. That's all it was. Wasn't 10, 200, 1,000. It was one vote. So it really, (laughs) to say that your vote doesn't matter, it's, that's, it's offensive. It's offensive, particularly so because so many people fought for the rights for all of us to vote and you have people now, present day, making up excuses not to perform their civic duty. And it's just, it's, you know, not to, ex- you know, they're making up excuses not to exercise uh, their rights as citizens of this country. It's, it's really, 
it's it's disgusting. <laughs> I find it reprehensible. I really, truly do. But people need to vote, really. Uh, <laughs> uh, but seriously, but seriously, that, that <laughs> people do really need to vote. Uh, it's 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 a travesty because, like I said, people come up with excuses. Another excuse that I hear is that, well, there are more of them than us, meaning that there are more people who are far left who are voting um, than people who are maybe more moderate, uh, more, cent- you know, more, more of a, people who are more centrist, more people who are center-right or right. And that is true. But that doesn't mean that there's more of them <laughs> than people who are in the center somewhere or leaning right or on the right. But at the end of the day, if 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 we don't vote, then it doesn't matter how many of us there are. And it doesn't even matter how many of of them that there are. That is, you know, people who are on the far left, because they're getting out and voting. Look, if the numbers, if the percentage of voters was something like, Fifty percent of the people who are registered to vote uh, routinely voted, or let's say something dreamy like seventy or eighty percent, right? Then I would say, well, you know, <laughs> it, it is possible that more of the electorate leans left, uh, maybe even far left. But we're talking about twenty percent of the people who are registered to vote actually do it. And it's just, I don't want to hear any more excuses. I really, really don't. It's just, like I said, it's offensive. It's really offensive. It's insulting. Because I have met very, very few people who cannot be bothered to vote or who vote, but they're not informed as they do so. I've met very few of those people from either group that I, I don't know who 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 accept the results in silence. They're always complaining. They're some of the loudest voices that we have. So again, you have to get out and vote. At some point, people have to decide what kind of life, what kind of quality of life that they want. They want to sit down and decide, or they'll want to sit down and decide if what they have or what they see around them is is working for them, if it's, if it's amenable. And if they don't want to at least vote— and they just want to complain, and they want to threaten to move. If I encounter those people, should I encounter those people, or should I encounter such an individual, I'm just going to tell them or him, we'll go ahead and leave then. There was a time when I would tell people, oh, just stay, hang in there. You got to keep on fighting. We just got to, we got to recruit people. We got to find good people and run them. I'm not interested in doing that anymore. If people want to pack up and move, then move. Because 
a lot of the people who are threatening to do that, you know, first of all, they don't end up moving. It's kind of like the people who threaten to leave the country if this person gets elected president or that person gets elected president. No, they don't go anywhere. They <laughs> they stay and <laughs> they complain and they they basically make a general nuisance of themselves. And so people who, who threaten to make a move anywhere um, right here in Boston, it's kind of the same thing. I just, I don't want to hear it anymore. And yeah, if someone wants to, to move or, or you know, talks about doing that, be gone with you. Because it's just, it, it really is just enough energy just trying not to be that voice in the wilderness because, the lone voice in the wilderness, because right now the Boston political scene, it's a cesspool. It is. It's you have people who are established and you have some people who, for one reason or another, or maybe several reasons, a path has been made for them to become party to that establishment. Okay. But then you have all these other people who, whatever their protestations to the contrary may be, uh, they are looking, they themselves, to become also members of the establishment. And it, it, for them, it's this, this new breed of, of political candidates, this new breed of activists. It's, it's about making as, however much noise that they can. And it, it's just about name recognition. And I just, <sighs> I'm going to use the word offensive again. I find that so offensive because, okay, I know your name, but what are you planning to do? What? Are, why are you running? What are you going to do with the power that is going to be invested in you should you win? I, I just... <laughs> It's so frustrating and, and it's 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 infuriating actually in some instances. You know, I look at people like Erin Murphy and like from start to finish, it's been just a steady stream of selfies. And I just I don't think anyone should be making over a hundred thousand dollars a year to post selfies. Don't get me wrong, to be fair to Aaron or anybody else uh, about whom I would have this criticism, because there are some other people that I have that I would make the same criticism um, about them. Uh, there is definitely there is definitely a ceremonial aspect, right? And people do expect to see elected officials in the community, so. Necessarily, Aaron and, and all these other elected officials have to be present. They have to be seen. They can't, you know, be hidden away somewhere. Uh, and I'll also say that I think that she makes, this is actually, I don't know whose idea it was, but it, it's actually a very good idea to employ 
one staff, let me speak in generally, but this is what Erin Murphy regularly, routinely does, at least of late, is to, to use the staff that one has and, and you know, say, hey, look, it's team. It's team Murphy. It's not Erin Murphy. It's team Murphy. And then she can just send out different members of her staff to events and they can attend more events that way. And so that's actually very clever. It's, it's a very clever use of resources, uh, you know, smart, shrewd. And like I said, you know, there definitely is that ceremonial aspect, but at the end of the day, Aaron's getting paid to solve problems. They all are. They all are. And when I just see selfies, I start to get upset. And then <laughs> there, there's a whole lot of other behavior that I've seen. You know, people want to talk about Ricardo Arroyo. People want to talk about Kendra Lara. People might want to talk about Tanya Fernandez-Anderson. People might want to talk about Julia Mejia, Julia. Um, but there are things to be said about Aaron Murphy, too. And I just, I... I want someone who is not going to generate headlines. I want someone who is not seeking to be in the headlines. I want someone who's going to put his or her, her head down and quietly do the work. And that's not asking for too much. And I think that in some ways, the climate that we're all trying to navigate, in some respects, it's trickier than when we were in lockdown because when when we were in lockdown, it was devastating for so many of us financially, emotionally, mentally, even physically. I mean, even if one person or a group of people or, you know, however many people didn't get COVID, that didn't mean that there were no other physical ailments with which to contend. It was, I think it was handled poorly. I mean, I know I appreciate what some people might be saying. They might be saying, well, <laughs> well, gee, it was unprecedented in our lifetimes, and exactly how would you have done things differently? It's, it's very easy to criticize, but you didn't have to make any decisions. And I would say, you know what, you're right. However, I did know enough that it's not just about keeping people healthy physically. It's about keeping people healthy mentally. The two are very much intertwined, physical health and mental health, and keeping us safe from COVID, cutting down the risk on, on people contracting COVID, the way that so many elected officials on, on every level of government went about doing that, it it created other problems. It created other problems. Uh, and again, yes, some of them were physical. 
But we were told what we could do, and we knew what we couldn't do. And we were in kind of this weird, suspended state. It was very surreal. There were so many people. Their businesses were just, they were fighting to hang on. And very sadly, a lot of businesses just didn't make it. Businesses that were very much anchors in their respective communities. There were people who, even if they weren't touched financially as much as maybe some others, and maybe even if they didn't contract, maybe if they never contracted COVID, they still had other beasts, if I can use that term, to battle and... You know, you have people who developed a lot of mental health issues, loneliness. People felt very isolated. People acted out. Some people, I'd like to look at the numbers. Some people committed suicide, tragically. A lot of people did. It it, It was a very tough, tough, tough time. Uh, I'm actually going to try to get those numbers, but I know that uh, mental health during and since the pandemic has has come to an end, uh, since it came to an end, it's it's been a an even bigger issue. And I say even bigger issue because, of course, it wasn't like it wasn't an issue before the pandemic. And I just... <clears throat> I feel that as bad as it was, as surreal as it was, we were still we were still told what to do. We had restrictions imposed upon us. And sometimes our biggest challenges were fighting to avoid <laughs> those restrictions uh, or, or fighting to adapt to those restrictions. With the pandemic behind us, and, and I say that kind of <laughs> cautiously because there's talk about another strain of COVID, and I just, like so many other people, I'm tired. <laughs> like mostly everybody, I'm tired, but... I would say with the pandemic, I, I'm, I'll say this, I'll, I'll make this assertion. With the pandemic behind us, at least as far as we definitely know, um, or most people would concede that we are not in a pandemic right now, or it's not what it certainly wasn't what it was, that while even if caution needs to be exercised, we're still not where we were, certainly not where we were um, in the first three quarters of 2020, for instance. Um, I think this is a very tricky time. I think it's a very tricky time to navigate. 
because people, on top of the anger and the confusion and the isolation and the frustration that they felt because of the poor way with which the COVID pandemic was handled, they're now having to face the consequences of what went down. And so through no fault of their own, you have business owners having to, I mean, you still have a lot of business owners who, it's not because they survived, survived, air quotes, the pandemic that they're, you know, that they were free and clear. I mean, it's just, they were able to, to just last through the pandemic and some of them just, that was about all that they could do. And it's, I can't even imagine what those people feel because I think that when you're an entrepreneur, especially if it's a small business that we're talking about, it's your baby and you invest so much into that venture. And when it doesn't succeed, you feel like you yourself have failed. Uh, I was on the way to the studio to do tonight's show. I read about a woman in Essex County, and she had to, Essex County in Massachusetts, for people who are outside of Massachusetts. And she was interviewed, and she apologized to the community for failing. And she said that her decision to close her shop was a gut-wrenching one. She catered to the vegan community. But of course, anyone could enjoy it. But, you know, all her products were vegan. Uh, it was, you know, different pastries, bakery shop, bakery offered bake, uh, baked goods, pastries, um, so probably like breads, cakes, cupcakes, things of that sort. And I read this, and it just hit me really hard. And I said, wow. You know, here's this woman talking about, I'm sorry I failed. Think about that. Your baby, you had to pull the plug on what was your heart and soul, part of your heart and soul. And you're apologizing to people for failing. And I just thought, wow, what it must have taken for her. I believed when when I read that quote from her, quotation, uh, that it was a gut-wrenching decision, reading more in the article, I believed it. And then when she was quoted as saying that she was sorry for failing, I said, wow, what it must have taken for her to say that. And so I think that we're in such a, you know, it's obviously not just in Essex County. It's right here in Boston, uh, which is in Suffolk County. It's throughout the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, throughout this country, picking up the pieces from COVID. I mean, whether we're talking about our school children, I mean, remote learning, I suppose, was better than no learning, but there are going to be gaps in our children's education. A lot of our children's education, I don't know if we're going to be able to catch up. 
I don't know if we're ever going to be able to fill in those gaps. And it wasn't like throughout the Commonwealth, certainly wasn't like right here in Suffolk County that our educational systems were all that great. Now, (laughs) before people try to jump on me, you know, hold up. I think that there are tremendous teachers. There are tremendous educators. They are phenomenal. You know, whether we're talking teachers, administrators, there might be some hybrid positions. There are so many people. I've seen it. The amount, the extent to which they care is really something. It's, it's really something to behold. So I'm certainly not, I'm not disparaging the state of our educational systems, our school districts here in uh, uh, Suffolk County. Uh, you know, I'm not play, disparaging the workers within those systems. I think that there are a lot of different things at play, that just, you know, decisions that were made. Um, I mean, I do think that there are some education educators, and I, I mean, I'm not going to, I don't want to turn around and seem like I'm contradicting myself. There are effectively administrators and educators who have no business in any school district, and they have contributed to the issues that we see. Um, but but I want to make it clear that. If I do talk about, if I do criticize educators and administrators in, you know, say Boston Public Schools, it certainly isn't a categoric, uh, it's not a categorical uh, criticism. It's it's uh, very specific because I do know that there are, and, and, and I really do mean this, some incredible human beings who are very talented and they're trying to do the very best that they can under very difficult circumstances. Okay, so you have that. You have, um, you know, business owners, like the woman I, I spoke about in Essex, and I don't mean to conflate her experience with others in her county or in this county. Um, but, I mean, if, if I might just speak in generally, there, there are a lot of issues with which entrepreneurs must contend as they navigate the wreckage (laughs) that was caused by the pandemic. And, you know, people have to learn how to, it's almost like they have to learn how to socialize again. So there's so many different issues, right? And I just, I come back to elected officials, speaking specifically about the Boston City Council, we don't have time. We honestly don't have time for people like to put up like, like Erin Murphy, like a steady stream of selfies. Like, what are you doing? She is the chair of the standing committee of the Boston City Council. So for those of you who might not know, the Boston City Council has a number of standing committees that address particular areas. And if you go to the the city of Boston website if you specifically, you know, the Boston City Council, um, 
you might just, all, I mean, actually, you just want to, all you have to do is, it's, it's very, it's nothing. <laughs> it doesn't take like, you know, hours and hours of research. Just Google Boston City Council, um, all the councillors, uh, the, the 13 councillors are, are presented. Um, and then you see standing committees, you see who is the chair of the standing committee, the different standing committees, the vice chair, and then you see the members. Erin happens to be, and I think I've shared this before, this, uh, the chair of the standing committee that addresses addiction and recovery and mental health and homelessness. Now, I don't think homelessness should be shoehorned um, in with addiction and recovery, but that's another whole <laughs> top. That's another topic for another time. And, and I certainly have a number of reasons for 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 thinking that. Um, but you know what I will permit myself to say is that you know when you're dealing with a city that is the second or third most expensive rental market in the nation, not in the area, not in the state, but in the nation. It's very, 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 very wrong and stupid, stupid, stupid to conflate homelessness that stems from being unable to keep up with the exorbitant cost of living with homelessness that is derived from a vicious, nasty addiction. And it's just, you can't do that. And yet that's what they do in Boston. <laughs> and so sometimes when one might hear an elected official, depending on who the elected official is, but sometimes when one hears an elected official talk about, well, we housed, you know, all of these addicts, you know, these people on Methadone Mile, it, that's not combating homelessness. That is helping people who are in the throes of a tragic addiction, a terrible addiction. It's helping give them a chance at recovery, depending on where and how they've been housed. Let me just say that. But you're not combating homelessness. We, (laughs) okay, I'll permit myself to say this too. Homelessness, we romanticize this. And I actually said this, I testified at a Boston City Council hearing that addressed affordable housing. We talk about affordable housing, and yet for years we never really bothered to define what affordable meant concretely. Okay? And then at a certain point we started saying, well, hey, wait a minute. The metrics that are used to determine affordability in Boston, they're the same metrics that are used for several cities. So they look at Boston in conjunction with other cities, and those other cities, there is a higher income bracket. So (laughs) it's all these years, all this talk all this work on affordable housing 
I don't want to say it was a waste of time, but what exactly could have been concretely accomplished if the basic idea, the affordability, was off? I mean, just a little common sense, but there's none, (laughs) none, zip, zero, zilch. And of course, Erin Murphy isn't going to bring this point up because it didn't occur to her. And if she if she does bring it up, it's because she heard me say it or she heard Joe Smith say it or Jane Doe say it. But she's not going to bring it up. We need different voices. We need Republican voices. We do. We're so big on diversity in Boston, the political class, that is. And yet we don't think that that needs to extend to intellectual diversity or political diversity. And so I'm getting, I'm going to get to that point because I did want to, I said I would pick up with that. Um, And so maybe it, it would make more sense to say that I want to continue talking about that. And in order to really talk about that in a way that has substance, I think I need to preface it with what I'm discussing now. So, you know, housing, affordability, I mean, it's, <laughs> we, we don't really, we don't really know what that's all about. Um, but it's making a bad situation worse You're further leaving the people who can't keep up with the cost of living. You're further leaving them adrift by focusing efforts at homing people, focusing those efforts on the population that's struggling with substance addiction. Because, again, it's you can't conflate those two very different populations. And and I'll tell you that in Boston, if you are on the verge of being homeless or 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 you are actually homeless, you'll find yourself being directed to organizations that work with people who have very overt mental health issues, who are struggling with addiction, they might be active addicts, or they maybe some of them might be in recovery. If you don't have those overt mental issue health, health issues, if you are not struggling with substance abuse, if you're not in recovery, I mean, what are you supposed to do? And I will tell you that these different organizations, they'll look at you like, well, what are you doing here? Well, the reality is, is that. A lot of people don't make a lot of money in Boston, yet they stay here because they love the city, but it's very hard to stay here. It's very expensive here, and there are just a number of other issues that put together, the amalgam makes life in the city very hard. But to get back to the standing committee that, you know, Erin Murphy chairs, it's, you know, deals with addiction and recovery. 
I mean, you know, she's, you know, two, three times picked up some needles wearing an Erin Murphy city councilor at large T-shirt, you know. Um, there was a cleanup at Clifford Park, which is a green space, a park on Methadone Mile. It is not separate. Please, people, it is not separate from Methadone Mile. It is part of Methadone Mile. Ah! It, again, it's just more, I don't know if it's stupidity. I don't know if it's just the common sense. It's just not there. People just don't know how to, you know, no longer know how to think. Methanol Mile encompasses Clifford Park. It's not separate. It's part of it. But anyway, there was a cleanup. There's routinely a cleanup. And it's organized by, I think, Domingos. Domingos de Rosa uh, often organizes it. Domingos, ah, needles, ah, poop, ah, public sex, ah, needles, ah, poop, ah, public sex. And it's like, okay, Domingos, we know about all this. Do you have any ideas? Do you have a plan as to how we can combat this? Oh, what was that? No, you don't? Oh, okay. So how much longer are you going to make noise but no but not have a plan? Okay, but whatever. Yeah, I've already spoken about Domingos. Uh but you know, the, the, you know, this cleanup and and I hate to say it because, you know, there's the cleanup and then however many hours later it's it's, you know, or a day later it's it's a mess again. Um, but the, you know, the, their cleanups and on one occasion, Aaron Murphy did a Duncan, Duncan drop off, like maybe dropped off some coffee, maybe some donuts too. And I'm like, really? <laughs> you seriously, Aaron? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? God, are you serious? Oh my God. I'm like practically clutching myself over here. I mean, you, Duncan, uh, everyone runns on Duncan. It's, I mean, what do you think that's going to do? No, seriously. It's, and it's, it's disappointing. It's disappointing because Erin Murphy herself is in recovery. It has touched her family. And, you know, her situation isn't unique. There are a number of people. And I don't mean to conflate her experience, personal experience with addiction, you know, how it impacted her directly, um, whether because it was her or a member of her family. Um, I don't mean to conflate that experience with the, with the experiences of others, but it's just to say that there are a number of people who have been touched by addiction. Um, she has been public about it. And so I would have hoped even expected that she would have brought a little bit more of a robust approach to this crisis, uh, at least have some ideas, something. And she was recently roundly ridiculed for 
wanting to hold a hearing about the possibility of disease being spread from this the the machines that are used to sweep the streets and I, you know, a quick google search not even like 10 15 minutes like max that would have showed her that the possibility of such a contamination is very low but not only that and i and i think i've just yeah i've discussed this on the show the the machinery that is used to to sweep the streets has not been used on probably well the worst street not probably the worst street on Methadone Mile and that of course is Atkinson Street you have tents there you have a comfort center which from the outside looks comforting. I mean, they painted it nicely, but I'm sure if you go in, it's it's anything but. Uh, that's probably the most disturbing and dangerous street. And the machinery that Erin was referring to is not even used to clean that street. And it's just like, I, so she looks stupid. And we can't afford that. We can't afford that. You know, I have seen other city councilors. I've seen one. And he, a lot of pictures of him smiling. A lot of pictures of him knocking on doors. A lot of pictures of him smiling with other people, again, it's, it's, we, we just can't, we can't afford this. We can't afford this. And, you know, I've already shared how, so it's not just Aaron. It's not just Aaron. I mean, there are other issues (laughs) when it comes to talking about Aaron Murphy, there are certainly other issues, but she's certainly not the only one that really has Grosso Modo looked at the job of city councilor as being ceremonial? It, we just, it's just, we can't have that. We, it's not a good value for our money. When we have people who are supposed to be solving problems and meeting people where they're at and being the first port of call in a number of instances, especially in the delicate climate that I have described on tonight's show, navigating the wreckage, if you will, uh, of the pandemic, we we can't afford that. We can't afford people who are who are cashing checks, who are making an uh, excess of a hundred thousand dollars to just show up and smile on cue. We, we, we can't have that. We need people who know the issues, who can articulate uh, solutions. The only, the only solution, well, not even, it's not a solution because it's, it's methanol mile is, is just a multi, very much a multifaceted, multidimensional crisis. But the only proposal that Aaron has put forth, the only one was to offer tax abatements for businesses in that area. 
And that's not even her idea. And it was something that was proposed last year. So one wonders why she didn't mention it last year. Right? She's mentioned it now several months before election elections. And so it looks like it's just political expediency. We can't have this. We can't afford it. I'm very bottom line. And I was talking to someone recently about how I see the Boston City Council and how I see the mayor. I see the mayor as the CEO. Michelle Wu is the CEO of Boston. Boston is a business. It is a large corporation. And the city councilors are the board of directors. We cannot have people at this point in time, in particular, who are half-stepping. Then you have the anti-vaxxers. You have Padma Scott. You have Catherine Vitale. You have Sean Nelson. Now, Padma Scott is out there running uh, in the district, for the District 7 seat. We <laughs> we had an exchange, um, and she's just—I mean, I'm sorry, but she's not impressive. It's—I I need to see her pro- platform because it's just—again, we can't afford—again, think, think of it along the lines of, as, you know, it's a business. We cannot afford to hire someone— that cannot do the job and pay them a handsome salary. If someone stands up to run for office and doesn't have a platform, <laughs> I mean, what, 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 what do we expect this person to be able to do? If you don't have a platform, then you most likely don't know the issues. And if you don't know the issues, then you're not going to come up with any kind of solutions. Why should people get paid over $100,000 then for what would essentially be an internship? We can't have that. It doesn't make good business sense. It really doesn't. You have um, Catherine Vitale and Sean Nelson who are running for at the, um, the at-large seats. And they have spent most of their time on the campaign trail and on social media talking about how horrible Michelle Wu is. Now, they're free to think whatever they want about Michelle Wu or anybody else. I mean, at this point, they may think I'm horrible, worse than Michelle Wu. And that's perfectly fine. But this is the thing. Padma, Catherine, and Sean, none of those people are running against Michelle Wu. In fact, Michelle Wu is not up for re-election this year. And as I said, because of the climate, people, people need to know, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do for me? How are you going to solve my problems? I had trouble feeding myself last week. How can you help out? I might lose my home within the next six months. How can you help me? You know, I often have to make the decision between paying my rent, or it could be mortgage, and eating. How are you going to help me? Hey, you know, I have been underemployed for quite some time. 
And it's just, it's hard for me to keep up with the cost of living. How are you going to help me? Hey, you know, I, you know, my kids, we're looking for opportunities and we know or we think there's got to be something out there. How can I get this information? Where do I get it? Can you help me? All, and, it's just, and it's so much more than that. It's just, but these are just some of the things that I hear just walking around and meeting the people where they're at. That is my phrase, meeting the people where they're at. Because I do. Because I take the time to listen to people. And... Some of our elected officials, particularly on the Boston City Council, do not. I'm going to go to a very, very quick break. When I come back, we're going to finish up, and I'm going to once again make an argument for Republican participation because it's <laughs> there's so many people. It's 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 almost impossible to describe the number of people who are so sick of the lack of real, not fake, not assumed or affected, but real political diversity in Boston. Well, let's go to a quick break, and then we're going to, for the last few minutes of the show, we're going to talk about how the Republican Party in Massachusetts needs to stop being a social club and start being a political party. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Is this tree good for climbing? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady and the Ad Council. It's time for today's STEM tip. Okay, you know recycling is important. No one wants plastic in the ocean. Here's a cool way to repurpose a plastic bottle. Build an awesome terrarium. Cut a large plastic bottle in half and fill the base with sand, pebbles, potting soil, and your favorite plant. I chose an African violet. Put the top of the bottle over your base and place it in the sun. Your plant will grow sealed in its own ecosystem. Fun, right? Learn more at She Can STEM. A message from the Ad Council. Are our love bugs and companions. They are our pets, our family, and they make life better. When we face unexpected challenges, so do our pets. That's why we're on a mission to support people and their pets. Whether donating a bag of kibble, sharing an Instagram post of a lost cat, or welcoming a foster pet into your home, every bit of kindness counts. Visit petsandpeopletogether.org to learn how to be a helper in your community. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Hello, and welcome back after that quick break. You are listening to me, Rachel Meiselman, on Bostonian Rap. This is WBCALP 102 FM, Boston, Boston's community radio station. Uh, As I started, or before I went to that break, I, you know, I said, you know, for those of you who might be tuning in for the last uh, few minutes, thank you so much. Um, We just, we need... We need, the Republican Party needs to get involved. You know, what really 
I sound like Peter Griffin. You know what really grinds my gears? <laughs> you know what really, uh, it actually really ticks me off is when Republicans, it depends on the Republican because, you know, there are some Republicans and they may live well outside uh, the city limits, but, you know, they pay attention to what's going on and, you know, if they can help, you know, they do try to help. But, you know, you have some of these Republicans, I'm like, just be quiet. Like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> There's this one woman, and honest to God, like, she really needs to zip the lip. She wants to talk about Boston. She wants to talk about how horrible it is and what's going on and the horrible Democrats. And this same person in 2020, when I was running for Congress, she supported the handpicked Republican candidate, handpicked by the then party chair, Jim Lyons, who thought that wearing a micro mini flag, you know, back the blue dress and romping around the state was the same thing as campaigning. <laughs> and of course, she had no platform, um, no ideas, no relevant experience, and, and couldn't explain in any way, shape, or form why she was running. Didn't even show any uh, signs of being able to talk about, didn't, didn't demonstrate, I should say, that you know, it's a smoother way to say it, didn't, <laughs> didn't demonstrate any kind of ability to be able to talk about um, what her role would be, uh, the purview of the office that she was seeking. And it was just, okay, so you're going to back a joke. You're going to back a candidate that was a non-candidate, but you also want to express concern about Boston. This is the thing. Republicans cannot talk about Boston if they're not willing to help Boston. And we need to recruit candidates. We need to run candidates. We need to support candidates. No one wants to lose and look bad, um, but we have to make inroads. We just simply have to. I mean, if, if we can't, then it's, I, I don't understand how we're going to be a party. We can't continue to ignore what is the capital of the Commonwealth and the surrounding cities such as Revere and Winthrop and, and then you have Randolph and Somerville and Everett. We cannot continue, Chelsea, we cannot continue to ignore these, these municipalities. If we're going to be a, a two-party state, if the Republicans want to be a viable alternative to the Democrats, then they have to run people throughout the Commonwealth, period. I've outlined tonight, uh, throughout the entirety of tonight's show, how, how much Boston is struggling. And in my opinion, one of the antidotes, the primary antidote is to present people with an alternative, a reasoned, nuanced, feasible alternative. That's all I got. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I look forward to doing the same at the same time, Wednesday at 7 o'clock next week. Bye-bye for now. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, 
you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119, attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.